Good morning, Greenwood Presbyterian Church. It is good to be with you, and it is especially good to be with you in the context of worship and of our coming to the Lord's table together. For the first time as a church family since the month of February, it's been a long time since we've come together to eat and to drink and to celebrate as the family of God. And in preparation for this communion service, which likely will be unlike any communion service any of us have ever participated in, given our circumstances, uh, I've chosen a passage of scripture and in God's providence, a hymn that I hope will bring us to the table with new eyes to see and to behold the beauty of the gospel and the wonder of what Jesus has done for his church. And so to prepare us for our scripture reading, and it is a long scripture reading, but we have a cool morning for this long scripture reading, and we're thankful for that. But to prepare us for the reading, let me remind you of the events that will happen just before this reading. And those events are these. Jesus has been unjustly tried unjustly he's been found guilty he's been sentenced to crucifixion death by the cross he's been buried with a stone rolled to cover the tomb and it's been three days and after three days after the official time the declaration of death some women are determined to go and to tend to what they think will be a dead body in a grave. And they take their spices, they take the elements that they need for this body, and they come to the tomb, they come to the grave. There is no dead body there, but there are angelic beings that ask the women, why do you look for the dead among the living? And the women are shocked. They have no understanding, no capacity to understand what is happening. And so they run to tell others what they've seen. It's in that context that all of the community is abuzz. Everyone is confused. Every conversation is about what in the world is happening? What has happened to Jesus? Where is Jesus? Is he really risen? That's the context of the passage that we'll now read together as two disciples are on a seven-mile walk, the road to Emmaus. Give your attention to God's word and the beauty that it holds for us this morning. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus asked them, 
well, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. Jesus then said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus then explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went and he stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks, and he broke it. And he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Let's pray that God will bless our understanding of this good news. Lord, my prayer this morning, this simple prayer, is that you would give us heartburn, the kind of burning hearts that these disciples had on the road to Emmaus, when the scriptures were opened up to them and they began to see, understand, and believe that Jesus had come, that Jesus had died, 
that Jesus had suffered but was resurrected to glory. Lord, may that be our great hope as we come to the table together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, as we prepare for the table and as we come through this passage of Scripture, the hymn that will bring us to that table is a very sweet and powerful hymn, a hymn by Henry Light titled, Abide With Me. And so I studied that hymn this week and the background of that hymn, and I learned a number of things that I did not know. But even just meditating on the word abide, thinking about what that word used, how that word is used or not used really by us, we don't talk about abiding. That's not language for most of us that we would use in a week. But the image and the concept as I looked at that really reminded me of a story from years ago. You know, I'm the father of four children Four wonderful children, I should say. But I do have a favorite daughter in those four. I have one daughter and three sons. And I was reminded in preparing for this during the week that when she was a little girl, and when it was my turn to put her down for a nap or to put her down in the evening to go to sleep, you know, we would lie down next to her, which if you have children, you're familiar with this. You would lie down and try to get them to calm down, to close their eyes, to fall asleep. And then if it's the evening time, most adults are pretty serious about getting back up and going and doing whatever you were doing, right? Well, this is my memory of my daughter, Savannah whether it was me or whether it was Marie, and we were lying next to her, and we would think she was asleep, and we would gently try to start to get up off the bed, not to awaken her. And every time, suddenly her foot would drape over ours, or she would grab hold of us, and she would, she would wake up from that half-sleep and say, no, stay, 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 don't go, don't go, don't go. And it would happen again and again, and, and the putting of a person to sleep. You had no idea it could be so hard, and it could take so long. But at the same time, be so beautiful when you reflect on it years later. And you understand that the cry of her little heart was to please don't go. Abide with me. Stay with me. Remain with me. Stay close to me. Don't go away. And that really is the heart of the hymn that we're going to sing. And it comes up in our passage. The specific language comes up in this passage. And I want us to see that this morning. The heart of this message is simply this. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are not alone. Ever. You are not left alone in this life to fend against hardship, evil, disease, sickness, sadness, sorrow. Jesus does not leave his disciples alone. He abides with them, especially when they ask. 
Let's see how that shows itself in our text this morning. I have three simple points for you again this morning. The first is, disciples, you are not alone. The second is, disciples, you are not alone regardless of your circumstances or feelings. Even when you feel alone, you are not alone if you are a disciple of Jesus. And then thirdly, disciples, you are not alone because our resurrected Lord is faithful to his bride, the church. So first, you are not alone. There is a universal fear in humanity of being abandoned, of being forsaken, of being neglected, of being forgotten of being alone. There's a universal fear. It's actually called monophobia or autophobia. Some people more than others really do have this, this fear, this internal fear of being alone. And it can create panic, it can create anxiety, it can lead to depression. It is actually a thing. Some people deal with it more than others. But I believe that everybody deals with it spiritually, whether they know it or they don't. We do not want to be alone, left alone, to suffer, to hurt, to be afraid. We want presence. We want company. And sometimes that manifests itself in a person. But ultimately, it manifests itself in God himself who promises to be with his people. But universally, man does not want to be alone, regardless of how introverted he or she may be. Some of you remember the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks from 2000, the year 2000. One of our favorite scenes, and many people's favorite scenes, is when he cast away on this island by himself for a number of years, makes a friend out of a volleyball. You remember this? His bloody handprint on a volleyball that had been on the airplane. And he looks at it and it looks somewhat like a human face. And with his finger, he etches in that wet blood left from his hand a pair of eyes and I think a smile. It was a Wilson volleyball. And so he made a friend named Wilson out of the volleyball that he would talk to, that he would laugh with, he would tell jokes to because he didn't want to be alone. Because human beings need presence. We need people. We need company in our lives. The Old Testament and the New Testament show this universal fear in us of being abandoned, of being left alone, and being forsaken. We heard about it in one of our passages earlier in the service. The Lord says through Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so disciples need not worry. We need not be fearful because God says he is with his people. He said it in the Old Testament. He says it in the New. John chapter 15, the entirety of the chapter is beautiful on this image of abiding in the Lord and the Lord abiding with us. But in our English translations, it tends to say remain instead of abide. But it's the same word in the same, same meaning. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. 
I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Here it is. Now remain in me as I also remain in you. Abide with me as I abide with you. Our God is an abiding God. And if you are a disciple, if you are a follower of him, that promise is yours. And you need to be reminded of it this morning. Disciples are never left alone. Disciples. Those who sincerely follow the Lord, who look to him in faith, are never left alone. Now here's a true story. Up until last night, the first point of this sermon was going to be, you are not alone. And this morning I thought, you know what? That's not clear enough. Because there may be some visiting, maybe some spectating this morning, some watching on the internet who aren't disciples. They're spectators. They're around the church, but they're not in and of the church. They're interested in Jesus, but they're not following Jesus. And it would be misleading for me to say that you're not alone if you're a spectator. But that's not the promise of Scripture. This promise is for disciples, for those who follow the Lord, for those who trust the Lord, for those who look in Him, to look to Him in faith. You're never alone. That promise is uniquely yours. And the way that God offers Himself to you in bread and wine, that is unique to disciples of the Lord. And so hear that hard message. If you are a disciple of the Lord, you are never left alone. If you are not following him as a disciple, Scripture does not make that promise to you in that intimate way. Secondly, disciples, you are not alone regardless of your circumstances or your feelings in this life. Now you see the significance there. Because sometimes we feel very alone. Sometimes the circumstances in our life, we can shake our heads and say, where is the Lord? This is hard. This is difficult. I would never choose this. I wouldn't want this for my child. Why would God want this for me? But regardless of our circumstances or our feelings, the promise for disciples is that you are not alone in that thing. God never promised to keep those things from us. He promised to be with us through those things. And so, disciple, you are not alone, regardless of your feelings, regardless of your circumstances. And that's a truth to tuck away. If your circumstances are good right now, if your feelings are strong, this is something to remember for the day that that's not true. When life is harder, when life seems more difficult, you're never alone regardless of your circumstances or your feelings. The truth is you are never alone in sickness or in health. You're never alone in poverty 
or in wealth. And disciple, you are never alone in life or in death. That's the intimate promise that God makes to his people. Now all that language of sickness and health, poverty and wealth, life or death, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's marriage language. That's the language of a wedding. That's what a bride and a groom say to each other, to say that we're in this for life. We will not abandon each other. We will not neglect each other. We will not forsake each other. It is binding language. And we know it from weddings. But God spoke it first to his church. And God uses our human marriages to model, to mirror the kind of intimate relationship he has with his people, the church. He says he is with us. He will not abandon, neglect or forsaken us. And such is the nature of our covenant-keeping God. He has tied the knot with his people, and the knot he ties does not come loose. And it's a beautiful promise to every disciple of Jesus Christ. So where does this go wrong? Why do we struggle? Why do we have such hardship believing these things? Well, it's also in our passage. Verse 25, Jesus is walking on that road to Emmaus with two disciples. One of them is named Cleopas. The other one is not named. And my study this week reminded me that though one disciple is known by name and the other is not, it could be his wife, it could be another man. We don't know. But even that is testimony and evidence of the truth of Scripture. Because if this was a fabricated story, you would not admit to not knowing the name of someone you wrote into that fabricated story. The truth is the person's name was not known. And they didn't fake it. They didn't pretend it. They said there's two disciples. We knew one of their names. But they walked with Jesus, or really Jesus walked with them, and their heads are hanged low. They feel defeated. They feel disappointed. And the language there is that, well, we thought Jesus, we thought Jesus was going to redeem Israel. And he's disappointed us. He, he apparently wasn't who we thought. And this is where Jesus actually rebukes these two disciples. You can almost see Jesus shaking his head. His appearance has been hidden from them. They don't recognize him. That is a spiritual mystery. And he's played dumb in a way with them, saying, well, what are you all talking about? What's going on around here? And their response to him was, are, are you the only person in town who doesn't know what's happened? And then they hang their head, they show their defeat, and Jesus, it seems, almost shakes his head, and he says, how foolish you are. How slow of heart you are to believe. How foolish you are, how slow of heart you are to believe. Look back at your week behind you. Pay attention to yourself in the week ahead of you. How many times can you say rightly of yourself, how foolish I have been, how slow of heart I have been to believe? 
And that's what's true of these disciples at that moment with Jesus. And then Jesus opens up the scriptures to them, revealing how he had been the main character, the subject of all the prophets had written in the Old Testament. And these two disciples are amazed. But the text says they still don't know who he is. At this point, they just are wowed by the teaching of this man who's able to show them the scriptures. Later, they would reflect and say, were our hearts not burning within us as he explained the scriptures to us? They had that aha moment where suddenly they realize now the scriptures make sense. But they still didn't understand who Jesus was. It was not until he broke bread in their presence and he gave thanks to God and he began to distribute, to serve them the bread. Then somehow, spiritually, mysteriously, their eyes are opened and it all makes sense. And right when it seems to make sense, Jesus vanishes. Another mystery, a spiritual mystery, a resurrected Lord, pre-ascension Lord, vanishes, can be unknown, unrecognized by man. It's a mystery, but it's true. And in this one story of this long walk to Emmaus, Jesus shows that he is a resurrected Lord who is faithful to his church. He shows a covenant faithfulness, a binding love for a foolish people who are slow of heart to believe. That language of abiding love, it shows up in this passage. And actually, this was a surprise to me. I had assumed that the hymn, Abide With Me, was rooted in John 15. And those words, remain with me and I'll remain with you. Abide with me and I'll abide with you. Actually, the words to the hymn, Abide With Me, are rooted in Luke chapter 24 in almost an obscure way. After Jesus had been teaching the two on the road to Emmaus, the sun is going down. Evening has come upon them quickly. And Jesus pretends that he's going to go ahead. I've got to press on. And those disciples who have just heard Jesus teach, they still don't know that he's Jesus, but they, their hearts have been so warmed by his teaching and revealing of Scripture, they say, no, don't go. Please don't go. Abide with us. It's almost nighttime. Stay with us. As if to say, keep teaching us. Don't leave our presence. You might say they draped their leg over Jesus and grabbed him and said, don't go, don't go, please don't go. Just as a daughter would do to a father. And it's that intimate language of abide with us, stay with us, don't go, this is too good that the hymn draws our attention to our need for God to abide with us in every hour of our need. When hardship comes, when fear comes, when disappointment comes, the disciple responds and says, Lord, please don't go, please don't go, stay here, be near to me, bring the comfort of the scriptures to me in my hour of need. Henry Francis Light is the author of the hymn that we'll sing in just a moment. And this hymn that 
is so beautiful and so rich. I hope it will minister to you as we sing it. I hope that you'll listen to it during the week and that it will continue to minister to you. But here's the story of that hymn and how it was composed. Henry Light was an Anglican minister. And like all these other hymn writers, he was given to, to the ability to write poetry, to take truth and put it succinctly to song. He had that gift. But a friend of his was dying. And when Henry Light was a young man in his 20s, he went to that friend and tended to him at bedside. And that friend kept saying to Henry, abide with me, abide with me, abide with me, which took his mind to this story of the disciples wanting Jesus to stay, to abide with them. So Henry at his bedside etched out a few stanzas of that hymn and he shared it with the family. But 27 years later, that hymn would be added to by Henry Light as he was now preparing for his own death. As he was suffering from tuberculosis, preparing to die, he remembered that hymn and those words he had written to comfort his young friend who was dying 27 years earlier. And he added to that hymn several stanzas one of which is very personal and is sometimes left out of our hymn books. It's in the words that we'll sing this morning, but it's the passage where he says, Thou on my head in my youth did smile. Some people thought that's too personal. Let's not put that in the hymn book. Henry is writing of his own experience, and he was. But for many of us, we can sing that stanza just as Henry did and thank the Lord that in our youth, he was working mightily in our hearts and in our minds. But as Henry Light prepared to die, he finalized this hymn. It's many more stanzas than what we'll sing together. They are rich and they are beautiful. And what I want you to know before we come to the table is that this bread and this wine, this is how he abides with his church. It is one thing to hear his word opened up and read, and taught, and preached. It's another great thing to sing his word, to pray his word. But God is so kind and he's so gracious that he said, that's not enough. I want an even more personal touch with my people. And in that way, some have called the sacraments sacramental hugs and kisses from God. Some of you are very huggy people. You understand that to embrace to love one another, there's nothing like it. Well, God has given an intimate, personal way to abide with his people, to remind us of his love and his nearness, and it's through bread and through wine. And as we sing this hymn, you know where it's leading us. It's going to bring us to the table. So let's prepare our hearts. Let's pray, and then we'll sing this hymn together. Our Father and our God, we do rejoice that you abide with your people in very personal and intimate ways. Your spirit works in our hearts. Your spirit brings your word and its truth to bear upon our hearts. Your spirit uses song and the gift of song to encourage 
weary and fearful hearts. And Lord, you've given us prayer to embolden our weak hearts. And this morning we rejoice that you give us body and blood to taste and to see, to behold the goodness of our God and his love for our church. So, Lord, would you warm our hearts just as you did those disciples on the road to Emmaus? Would you strangely warm our hearts with gospel truth this morning? We ask this and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.